Welcome to the Rainbows and Rain podcast, the podcast for early interventionists, where you'll hear stories, reflection, and coaching from the field. My name is Erica, and I'm an early intervention teacher in Minnesota. This podcast is about connecting through stories and reflecting on our practices during visits. Hear how I try to put best practice and research to work on the road and on real visits, looking to find the humor in it all. I hope this podcast helps you connect and reflect on your own visits and interactions with families. Rainbows and Rain is available wherever podcasts are listened to. While you are listening, please feel free to feel free to rate and review the podcast. Ratings and reviews help reach more people and grow our early intervention community. You can find it on Instagram. Check it out on Rainbows at I'm sorry. Check it out on Instagram. Uh, we are at rainbows underscore rain underscore podcast. The podcast is also on Teachers Pay Teachers. So this is brand new. And if you haven't been there yet, you can find my store called All Things Early Intervention. And right now there is a complete series of handouts to support communication development, to support caregivers and early interventionists together, something you can pair your coaching practices with. Uh, These handouts are super visual. They're written to speak to parents in parent-friendly language, so please check them out. There are sensory handouts on there as well. That series is almost complete. Um, but that store is in development, so check back often um, or follow the store too so you can kind of get updates on what's new and what's been added. But the the handouts I've created and put on there have been tremendously helpful. I've received a lot of positive feedback from them. What generated that passion project, I guess you could say, was just the lack of anything out there (laughs) I was looking for. So I have access to tons and tons of handouts and tons and tons of resources, probably much like you do, but it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. It had great information on it, but maybe the reading level was too high. Maybe it didn't speak to um, certain parents. So um, these handouts I definitely created with the parent in mind, not even so much the child in mind or the process of development, but what parents and caregivers can do to really help their child do the things they want them to be able to do. And that is where the series title comes from, I Want My Child to Talk. And then the strategy companion handouts, what can I do? So again, very direct, very um, tied to parent goals with reflective questions. So you won't find a laundry list of ideas on those handouts. You might find examples. Um, But the idea with those handouts is to generate empowering the caregiver to come up with their own ideas, to see how this could work in their own life. So check it out. Teachers pay teachers. Uh, The store is called All Things Early Intervention. 
I'll also set up that link in the show notes so it's really easy to click on and find. I'm sitting here with my coaching book from Rush and Sheldon, the second edition. If you don't have the second edition or you don't have the book at all, I highly recommend you get it. The second edition is a little bit thicker. It has a lot more scripts in it to read from. And so like examples to see what does coaching look like in real life. And to be honest, that is the whole premise of this podcast. How do you put these practices into play on real visits? So I speak from a real perspective, real visits that are happening right now. Um, So I'm just hitting here because I wanted to kind of like look through it. There were a couple things uh, that caught my eye on Instagram and I'll share them with you. One is from EI Northwestern and it talks about, it was a post they had and it said, um, let me scroll to the first, it said reframing good versus bad sessions or as I call them visits. And that really intrigued me, like good versus bad. Like what is a bad visit? What is a bad session? And as I kind of scrolled, it said mindset one, that was a bad session. Child had an off day and it has these visuals that go along with it. Um, So I was like, hmm, I child had an off day. And then mindset number two, what are the child's needs? Are they hungry, tired, overwhelmed, whatever? Like, why didn't they perform? And then it, you know, kind of ends with what are our priorities to measure, measure success in a session? And I thought, oh my gosh, what a great podcast topic. What are our priorities to measure success in a session or on a home visit? Is it what the child does? during that visit? Is that what it's all about? I don't agree with that. Um, I feel like there is no such thing as a quote good or bad visit. If you are supporting caregivers, if you are following their lead, and if you are prioritizing what they want and what they're doing, that's a good visit. Um, child could have an absolute meltdown. I've been on those visits where they're melting down. Parents are trying to cope. Parents are trying to figure it out. Um, if you are there supporting the caregiver in those moments and not so much trying to redirect the child to get them to do what they want, what you want them to do, or even maybe what the parent wants to do, because um, that's really, you know, crossing a boundary, I feel like. Um, even if you're trying to distract the the child who's having the meltdown or the behaviors or wanting to disengage. Um, especially in those moments, those stormy moments, as I call them, because this is the Rainbows and Rain podcast. My, I really take a step back and I completely redirect all my attention to the caregiver. Is this hard for you? How are you feeling right now? Um, letting them know this does not bother me. So a lot of parents can feel embarrassed or ashamed 
um, that their child isn't performing when the professional is there, let them know that that's okay. Like, that's okay. I've seen this before. This is nothing new to me. It might be really new to that parent, though, especially if this is their first and they're just like, I don't know how many times I've ever heard this, but, you know, when parents say, you know, the child might start swatting or kind of hitting. I don't know where they learned that. It's like, well, they didn't learn that. That's an innate primal instinct when you're mad. So again, lots of things going on in those moments, but I just thought that was really interesting and I wanted to share that. Um, and I thought that would make a good discussion. What, what measures success in a session, in a visit? And I think number one is walking in and knowing you're there to support the caregiver. Rush and Sheldon talk about it early in their book, Choose Relationship Over Control. And I think that's huge, especially if um, you're working with anyone or if you're still feeling the need to bring in the toy bag. That is about control. I can control what's going to happen on that visit, on that session, in that home, with that child, what I'm going to do, that is all about control. So when you want to have your best visits with families or your best coaching visits, you want to choose that relationship over your control over what's going to happen. So forming that relationship is key and it's not the relationship with the child. It's the relationship with the caregiver that you need to establish. So I think that's really key. I think that's number one, first and foremost thing you need to realize is this is a interaction style. This coaching is what I'm talking about. Coaching is an interaction style. It's relationship based. So going back to coaching, since I'm sitting here with my coaching book from Russian Sheldon, um, we all know the five research-based characteristics of coaching that should be present within visits, of course, is joint planning at every single visit. Observation happens, I think, just naturally on every single visit. Action, practice, and reflection and feedback. Reflection is typically those questions you're asking the caregiver. And I podcasted on that a couple episodes ago. Um, But I really want to talk specifically about feedback today. I know I've also podcasted on feedback a little bit, but really want to dig a little bit deeper into feedback because Feedback is tricky. It's what we bring to the table. It's our expertise. It's our area of specialty that that we went to school for, um, whether PT, SLP, OT, um, DHH teacher, like whatever profession you know you come from, you bring that special, high level area of expertise. And our job is to share that with the caregivers in a way that grows their capacity to meet their child's needs. Not that they need to turn into an OT 
or read a bunch of research articles or, you know, whatever, but we can share enough expertise with them in regards to what's going on in their home with their child so they feel competent and confident enough to meet their own child's needs. But I think the tricky part is, is when feedback turns into you need to do A, B, and C in order to get D to happen, if that makes sense. So handing out almost like a prescription of like, do these activities, do these strategies at this time, and boom, you'll have progress and growth. This is what you need to do. So that's where I feel like I've seen feedback get really muddy um, and not real clear and misses the target for sure on what we as professionals want to do on home visits. So how do you do that? How, how do you do that? Um, I don't know. We'll figure it out, I guess. <laughs> that's kind of where my handouts, though, came from, to be honest, Um they, those handouts, they come from a place of, I've said these phrases or these words multiple times on visits or given these examples multiple times on visits. And, um, you know, I just felt like me talking only meets one learning style. So, or even practicing, talking and practicing, talking and modeling, having the parent practice, having the parent observe, like it only meets one learning style and having something parents can reference to and think about and reflect on in their own time, I felt was, is a huge hole um, that needed to be filled. There's just not enough resources out there. There's none. If you find them, please send them to me because... <laughs> Um, I'm literally making this up as I go. So, but it's helping and it's working. So feedback, um, as defined by Russ and Sh- Rush and Sheldon, um, occurs after the caregiver has had the opportunity to reflect on their own observations or actions after they've practiced a new skill. So feedback includes statements by the coach that affirm the coachees or caregiver, as I said earlier, reflections. Um, That information is to deepen their caregiver's understanding of the topic being discussed and jointly develop new ideas and new actions. Okay. So, okay, so what does that mean? So I I like to think of it as, oh man, I think a mealtime is a really good one where feedback comes in. So, you know, or man, it can be any routine to be honest, but it comes right after reflection. So, you know, once the caregiver has had a chance to say that didn't really work, Um, that's, that's time for us to say, you know, I, like, I agree. I hear you. I saw that it didn't really work. And then following it up with 
information that can help them because right now they're like at a roadblock, right? They don't have the knowledge base to get past that roadblock. So once parents are at a roadblock and understand that something maybe isn't working in this situation that I'm explaining, that's the time to share your feedback. Um, I work with a really good OT. I really um, like her style and we work really good on joint visits and we've done a lot of mealtime visits and mealtime, of course, involves all the senses and all the sensory stuff. So we work really hard on educating caregivers how to make that routine better from a sensory or behavior perspective, depending on what's going on. Like, oh, it didn't go really well. He saw that on his plate and he ran away. You're right. Absolutely. It didn't go well. And then we can talk about visually that that being on his plate really overwhelmed him to the point he needed to flee. So if that's visually overstimulating for him or if he's really defensive to that, how can we make that less overwhelming for him? So that then you start giving your feedback on sensory and and all of those things and then coming up with a plan to with the caregiver like okay if we can't put it on his plate where could we put it um is it okay that and maybe this starts a brainstorming session um or maybe you just ask that to the caregiver if it if the item being on the plate was really overwhelming to him where do you think we could put it but still offer it have the caregiver make up that plan. Do not give them a prescription for, you know, putting that on his plate was too overwhelming or overstimulating visually. You need to set it off to the side or put it in a different dish or um, put only one piece on as opposed to a whole scoop on, you know, whatever it is. When you do that, it really doesn't put the caregivers, um, their own, you know, they're not coming up with their own plan. Like you're just giving them a plan and without realizing what they're capable of or what they're able to do or what ideas they might have. To be honest, parents a lot of times come up with better ideas than me and I love it. So that's the tricky part about feedback and how it gets a little bit muddy. It's sharing our expertise. It's sharing our experience, but in a way that's collaborative and empowers that caregiver. I'm working on the sensory series of handouts and I've called them, I want my child to calm down. And because that's what it is, right? Parents are always like, he's always spinning, always climbing, always seeking, or, you know, whatever it might be. Sensory is so hard for parents to understand the level of impact it has on learning and development. Um, so these handouts have been trickier to compile. 
um, but they've been really fun. They're almost done. Uh, there is one right now on repetitive activities. So those in and out activities that you can put on repeat, um, those hands-on fine motor activities. You will see a lot of examples on these sensory handouts. However, there is a lot of reflective questions um, for parents to think about and tips to give them so they can meet their own child's needs. Um, The other, so there's fine motor, so there's gross motor, sort of some heavy work in there and um, messy play. Messy play is another very under- under understood if that's even a word but or misunderstood or anyways parents don't get it like the major I should say the majority I, I think it's a very common thing for parents not to understand unless you come from um, a background in in child development that messy is okay that messy is good messy is development is messy So we need to let kids and allow kids to get messy. So um, there's that one. And then there's one on sensory bins. Um, Because a lot of times, this is, I feel like, again, where our feedback comes in, you know, if if the kid is constantly, you know, playing in the dog food or the dog dish or seeking out inappropriate ways to meet their own sensory needs, This is the time to share and ask questions with the caregiver. Have you ever heard of a sensory bin before or seen one before? Let's talk about that and what that could do for your child. Um, If what I tend to do, because it's really difficult to get parent buy-in, to be honest with these, with these specific sensory activities. What I do is I plan it with the caregiver. So I actually um, have this coming up uh, next week. Um, I have a student who she she's not seeking, but she is um, she's kind of wrapped up in her own little world. She likes little things, but engaging back and forth is really, really difficult, not on her terms. So we, mom and I have kind of felt stuck in a ways, in a way, because we can't, you know, she doesn't really invite us or want us to kind of interact with her a whole lot. There's been a little bit of regression. Um, she's likely on the spectrum and we're going through that process as well. But um, I said to mom, you know, because I felt stuck too and felt bad for mom. We're just kind of sitting there and I said, I just brought it up. I said, have you ever tried or seen a sensory bin before? And I kind of pulled one up on my phone to show her. And she's like, no. And I was like, have you ever tried Play-Doh before? And she's like, "Mm mm-mm. And I said, are you willing to maybe try some new things with me? Or I said, are you, like, if I help? You know, because a lot of times that's it too. Like, parents don't know what to do. If they've never done these activities before, they don't know how to introduce them or what to do with them or what the expectations are. So there might they might need more support in the beginning until they can feel confident and comfortable and competent, like carrying out these activities themselves. And I said, are you okay if next time I come, we try one with your daughter? 
And the goal is to get her to engage um, with us with something she likes, kind of get her to calm and regulate her body a little bit. So maybe we can get some more back and forth interaction out of her. Um, And she was all for it. And I was like, great, awesome. So sensory is so tricky because it's really hard to understand. And sometimes it does require um, something that's, that's not, and chances are they have these things in the home. They just don't know. They just don't know. Right. So if you bring the example, so this is what I typically do. I don't know if it's right or wrong. I'm just letting you know what I do. (laughs) Um, I typically will bring the example first, like I'll, I'll bring one and I'll bring something pretty safe that I think I know is, that I know is going to go well. Um, and then we do it on the visit and then we talk, reflect, discuss, make a plan. And typically almost every single time parents are then making their own sensory bin. So that's what I do. So, or, you know, I leave them with the Play-Doh recipe and they're making their own Play-Doh and, and I leave the Play-Doh with them too. Um, that I, that I bring. So sometimes things, things that require feedback also require a physical example. So again, it's meeting that learner-based need, you know, us just sitting and preaching and explaining might not be enough, but we don't want to come in with that toy bag and just do the toy bag show or the sensory bin show and just, now parents are like, oh, okay, well, that's what we'll do from now on. No, that's what you'll do from now on if you found it really successful. Um, and let's talk about that and how we can make that doable, affordable, accessible, all of those things. Okay, so something kind of funny about um, my sensory handouts here. Um, there, I have visual graphics of like parents and caregivers um, that are kind of like comic book, cartoony looking, and they're all confused (laughs) because sensory is confusing. And a lot of them have these like talking bubbles, like how can I do this? Or how can sensory bins help my child? Or how can letting my child get messy help them? So it's putting into what's going on in your visit in print form, in a visual form, and and in a relatable form. So please check them out because I hope they help you. If they do, let me know. I'd love to hear that feedback. More are coming. But again, sensory, sensory processing, um, a lot of that stuff is really difficult for parents to see and understand. So reflection is key when it comes to that. And then following right up with um, with your feedback. So I'm going to give everybody a quick tip here, and then I'm going to wrap up the podcast. So I've typically talked about my son who has a disability, and... <laughs> He was, he's great at meeting his own sensory needs. I've seen him um, do everything from pulling his twin sister around in a roller luggage carry-on, pulling her around in there, um, 
to him crawling under our fitted sheets on our beds, much like you would get the same sensation from a body sock. When I saw him do that, he was under a fitted sheet in our bed, just rolling around, going to town. And I thought to myself, I just sat there and watched and observed. And I was like, good grief. That is just like the body sock he plays with at therapy. So um, I shared that with my OT. She thought it was brilliant. We share it with families still. Um, Kids are great inventors to kind of meet their sensory needs. What's hard is that parents don't always see that as a good thing. They see it as he's messing up the bed or, you know, they're being naughty because now they're, you know, upside down on their head on the couch watching TV. You know, they, they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be on their head. They should be on their bottoms. Um, I think those are all great opportunities and doors that, that can lead to better understanding and empowering caregivers to understand. Tell me about why, what bothers you about him being on his head? You know, um, ask those questions, you know, that they're, that, you know, they're not understanding. So you can know where they're coming from and how to, um, what kind of feedback to give them. My son did that too, by the way. (laughs) Um, he, yeah, he went in phases, but there was a phase where he really liked to balance on his head on our couch and watch, you know, watch TV or just, or just balance there. And it, it's because hanging upside down can be really calming to the body. So, but again, to, um, someone else that might be looked at as, you know, misbehaving or something like that. But when you kind of know the why before behind it, like, oh, that's helping him organize his body. It's helping him calm him down. He does it for a few minutes and then gets down or goes and plays and then kind of comes back to it. You know, is it okay? Is that something you can live with? Or where else can he, you know, if that wasn't okay with me, or if I thought it was dangerous for whatever reason, finding other ways to hang upside down or get that need met too. Um, maybe laying on a bed on your back and having your head hang off the edge, you know, whatever it is, helping parents find ways to meet their own child's sensory needs. So by providing that all important feedback, not a prescription for what they need to do. So I thought that was important to talk about and really good to kind of revisit on the podcast feedback. Okay, I'm going to wrap the podcast up here, but I do want to share one last thing I saw on Instagram that I thought really was really powerful. I put it in my stories, but it's a reel and it's parents feel a lot of pressure to do more child-centered activities. And then it says, the truth is these activities often lead to overwhelm and keep parents in the role of entertaining children, which I 1000% agree with. And it really made me think of the toy bag. 
Um, if you're coming into the home with a toy bag, with all these great fancy activities, ideas, and games, it really puts a lot of pressure on parents that that's what they need to do to help their child who is experiencing a disability or developmental delay. And that can lead to a lot of overwhelming feelings of anxiety, inadequacy, things like that. Um, The reel goes on to say, um, when we do things the whole family enjoys, it makes space for boredom and engage in practical life together. It sustains energy, regulates the nervous system, and increases family connection. Um, Children do not benefit from a child-centered culture. They benefit from a family-centered culture. Um, so I was like, wow, that's just like our visits. <laughs> it should not be child-centered. Um, if you're working, yeah, it, it just, it shouldn't be. It needs to be, it needs to be family-driven, family-focused. What are the routines and activities you enjoy as a family? Um, so it's finding those things out and then going from there. But that's that's where you need to start. And I think we'll talk about that on another podcast episode. So stay tuned. Uh, thank you for listening to today's episode, episode 35 of the Rainbows and Rain podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your other friends and early intervention Um, so we can continue to grow this community. Please follow the podcast on Instagram, rate, review, share all those great things, connect, send me a message, send me feedback, send me a question. I'd love to address all of those on the podcast. And again, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Rainbows and Rain.